So will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus told another parable about the kingdom of God. He told a story. And there have been a lot of people who want to allegorize the, the parables of Jesus. That is to say, this means this, and this means this, and this means this. And when you hear a word like talent, you say, oh, goody. That can mean anything. It can mean the ability to sing or to paint like an artist or to dance, or it can mean the ability to run fast or jump high. Talents can be anything. But I don't want to race into that part of the story yet until we really hear the story. For a talent was a, a unit of weight, a measure, if you will. A talent was equivalent in monetary terms to about 20 years' wages. Um, if you want to do some quick math, we're talking for the man who was entrusted with five talents with maybe up to $3 million in today's money. Here. This is mine. I'm a capitalist, and I need to be overseas for a while. Take care of this. Do something that I might like with it, said the master to his slave. And to yet another, well, here's about $1.2 million. Don't mess it up. <laughs> See what you can do with it. Grow it. Make it go. And to yet another, here is about a half a million dollars or more. Invest it. Make me proud. Do my work with my money. He was a capitalist. He had capital, and he wanted to grow his wealth. And he entrusted to three of his servants the task of growing his wealth. And when he came back, he asked them, all right, time to settle up. And one said, you gave me ten talents, I've been, or five talents, and I've been able to turn it into ten well done, thank you very much. And the other said, you gave me two talents. I've turned it into four. Well done. Thank you very much. And to the third, he said to the master, everybody in the whole company is afraid of you. They know that you didn't get where you got in this world by by being soft or nice to people. You take things. When the opportunity is there, you strike. You like money that makes itself. And I was afraid of what you would do to me if I lost what you gave me. So I buried it in the ground. And here, I've dug it out. I've cleaned it off. Here's, here's your money back. It's just a story, friends. And if we can truly be honest, if we can truly be honest, every one of us has to acknowledge that the master, the owner, ha was in his full rights to be angry with someone who, who did nothing with his wealth. He was entrusted to, to grow the wealth, but he was afraid. He was paralyzed by fear, and so he did nothing but bury it in the ground lest he not have it when the master returned. I don't think in Jesus' day it was any different than it, is in our, than it is in our day. Investing wealth is risky business. And anyone who was hearing that story in Jesus' time 
They wouldn't have been thinking, now the master stands for God and this stands for that and this stands for other. They would have just been thinking, this is a story that makes sense. That's how it is. If you don't perform in the work world, what happens to you? You get your pink slip and you get let go. And they bring someone in who will do the work for you. So Jesus has said and established that there is at least some element of meritocracy to the kingdom of God. Now, salvation is ours through grace. We do not earn our salvation. But once we get inside the door, there are some house rules. And God expects us to play by the house rules. I was struggling so hard in my first and second grade years just to keep up with the concepts of mathematics and and I was, I was doing great. I remember crying through a whole class because there were 10 digits in the subtraction problems. There was five on top and five underneath. But those ones on top were all smaller than the ones underneath. And we had to do something called borrowing. It, I still get angry when I see a subtraction problem where I have to borrow from the next place over. It just makes me inside. And when I finally, my brain just gave up and said, okay, I get it. Then the next thing that happened was they showed us a brand new number line on the wall right next to the clock. And it went one, two, three, four, five, and then there was a zero, and then the other direction. You know what was on the other direction? Minus one, two, three. What are you talking about? How can you have less than nothing? It... It took me a whole month to get my head around that. And I'm bringing that up because this third slave in this parable has lived his entire life, apart from the master, on the negative side of the number line. He doesn't even know that there's a positive out there. The best he thinks he can do with all his life is not be a negative. What a way to live. Just try to come up to zero and then stay out of our way. Bury everything we've got in the ground. Never take a risk. The story is told of the ancient West. The pioneers coming out across the prairies and new establishments, new towns, ranchers kind of making their way in the world, and one rancher comes in one day to the general store in town, and he says to the owner of the store, Buck, I need you to sell me some, some wire, some barbed wire. I need a bunch of it, but I need you to put it on credit till I, get the, till I get the herd to the market. And the store owner says, Are you fencing in or fencing out, Fred? And he says, What's the difference? He said, if you're growing your ranch, if you're fencing in, if you're creating new territories, I'll give you all the wire you need on the house. I can wait till you bring your herd in. But if you're fencing out, if you're worried about problems, I'm not going to give you anything. You're going to have to pay up front. The store owner has a point. In the Old West, it was risky. Sell everything, come out here, try to make a stake for yourself, try to, try to build a life for yourself. It's risky business. Life is risky business. And we live our lives. 
either going out and getting after it and saying, let's go, let's spend some more in, let's get some wire, let's do what it has, we have to do, let's ask favors of friends, let's put ourselves out there, let's make it happen, or we spend our life saying, I, I don't, I don't want to lose anymore, I don't want to lose anymore, I don't want to, we might lose. I was a cross-country runner in high school. There was never a single race that I competed in where if I found myself listening for footsteps behind me, I prevailed at the finish line. Are you with me? There's only one place that we can be fixed, and there's the finish line. Strive, race, run, go as hard as you can. If someone's faster, God bless them. But going and pouring ourselves out to win the race, as Paul calls us to do, is different than trying to not lose the race. Are you with me? The last spring, we had a special service, and we sowed seeds of conversation. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what the summer has shown us in our congregation. And one of the things that has shown us is that just being a United Methodist these days is risky business. We had our visioning process a couple of years ago, and we put that incredible timeline together. And you could see on the timeline from the very start, a handful of people came to this city, and there was no Protestant church here, let alone a Methodist church. And on this very corner, almost 150 years ago, they took a risk, rolled the dice, and built a place for God. And every seven to ten years since that time, you could see it. They built another building. They took another initiative. They tore down an old sanctuary and built up a new one. They tore down an old fellowship hall and built up a new one. They tore down the old offices and built up a... This is the third sanctuary that they've built on this space. Ground was broken on the office space we now have in 1968. And you come marching up the timeline to 1968 and... No new initiatives since then. 50 years, friends, 50 years. Oh, we've had some fundraisers. There were termites. Had to tent the whole place. Roof was starting to leak. We had to replace that. The pipes burst downstairs under the, under the office, down in the youth room. We had to tear up the whole floor. You can still see the scar in the floor down there. There have been a few other emergencies over the years, and some of them were quite costly. But all of them add up to managing loss, fencing out. It's been 50 years, friends. When will our generation start fencing in again? When do we plant another ministry across town and do it right? When do we start addressing the ministry to the homeless in a way that makes sense and really helps people come to the kingdom of God? When do we as a church start to go forward again, move away from the zero and the negative numbers and into the positive numbers again? When do we take the flying leap of risky business? 
and pour our lives out for God because our lives are all we have. We are living, breathing weights of measure. <laughs> we are the people, the, the, the currency of value in God's kingdom. We are the things that God has given to the world to grow His kingdom. We're the ones who are supposed to be replacing ourselves. And then some. And we can do it. The men and women that I'm looking at through these eyes that God gave me are the most talented people I've ever met. We have more choices as Americans in our, middle, in our little fingers than in any three other countries combined, and yet we live our lives every day crouched in a corner, gripped with fear as if everything's going to be taken away from me. And I don't care what side of the political aisle you stand on. Everybody who won the election a year and a half ago, every last one of them is busy shouting at all of us and angry. And I want to say to them all, you won! What are you angry about? We don't need to be angry. We just need to be present for God's kingdom. Which is really risky business. It, it is. It's risky business. You take all that God has given you, all that you are. You take your mind, your body, your spirit, your treasure, your time. You take all of it and you wrap it up and you throw it out there into the universe and say, I'm going to do what Jesus of Nazareth wants me to do with all of this. That's a big risk. You might fall on your face. And then what? Everyone will laugh at us. And Jesus said, well, blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, because that's how they treated prophets in the old days. You can be a prophet. Just by taking a risk, taking a flyer, taking a big leap for God, you could be a prophet in our age, and we need the prophets of God to speak up again, to bring hope and joy and life back to our land and to our church and to our own lives, to take the big risk of doing God-sized work, managing losses only gets us to zero on the number line. You can't get to the good stuff without taking the risks. And so, it's my exhortation to myself and to all of you. Take a mission trip to a foreign land. Build an orphanage in Mexico. Invite some of the homeless to sit with us and tell us how it is so that we can understand their problem. Take a day and walk down to the hospital and get the chaplain's permission to go from room to room and sit with people and hold their hands and just say, I'm a stranger. I'm from a local church in the area. I come in the name of Jesus. Is there anything I can pray with you about? I promise you won't get past five rooms before you've taken a whole afternoon in that place. Take a risk. Put it out there. Take the weight and the talent that God has given you and put it out into the universe. Double it. Build it. For Christ's sake, build it. 
1988, I was at a conference on new church starts. It was back in Pittsburgh, sponsored by all of our apportionment dollars, as a matter of fact. And there was a, a young pastor there who was from Soapstone United Methodist Church down in Tennessee somewhere. I don't even know where Soapstone is. But she, she was telling us about her congregation, how they had been in the same space for almost 150 years. And then some yucklehead in the county built the interstate about 10 miles from where their church was. And they thought, oh, good. More commerce, more everything else. But they were on the old downtown Main Street, the cemetery out back of the church. You've been through a, a hundred little towns like that. And now all the shops and all the homes and all, everything else were all out by the internet, by the interstate. And nobody came down that street anymore. And their little soapstone church just started getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then she was appointed there. And they began to pray. And she said, the first thing I did was I instituted a rule around the church. Tonight when you go to bed, you can have a dream and God can give you a good idea. And if it's a God, if it's a God idea, we'll do it tomorrow. And we'll celebrate at a potluck on the day after that. And the hand shot up right away. The very first thing she said you dream about it today, we'll do it tomorrow, we'll celebrate the day after. Somebody said, well, what if we mess up? What if we make a mistake? And she said, I leaned forward and I said, we're all smart people, we'll fix it. And somehow when you are a young pastor and you say it with a very charming southern accent, we'll fix it makes it okay. Maybe I should start preaching with a drawl, y'all. Um, but she said that one little word, we'll fix it. It broke something open in the church. And by the time I had met her, they had sold the old chapel, cemetery and all. And they had relocated out to a 10-acre plot near the interstate. And they were at seven or eight hundred members and growing strong. People just couldn't wait because something new, something lovely, something joyful, something hopeful, something beautiful was happening there. Something risky was taking place. John Wesley said it once, or at least he was reported to have said it. If you set yourself on fire, people will come to watch you burn. It's risky business. Any more risky than a cutthroat, gotta-have-it-all financier handing you $3 million and saying, double this by the time I get home. That's risky, too. But if they can do it in the world of capitalism and finance, high finance, how can we who have Christ and the Holy Spirit be afraid of anything? Yes, the kingdom of God is risky business. And we are stewards of that kingdom. My hope and my prayer is that from this day forward, from right now, 
going forward, we will also be those people willing to be fencing in, no longer fencing out, and no longer gripped by fear, but overwhelmed with a vision of what God can do when we allow ourselves to be his stewards of this risky business we call the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen.